0: Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to a potential customer, contact the marketing professionals at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Hello, young business leaders. I'm your host, Evan Yuitake, and I'm excited to share this week's episode with you. Today, you get to tune into a bonus podcast from our monthly luncheon featuring Jim Stovall. Jim Stovall has been a national champion Olympic weightlifter, the president of the Emmy Award-winning Narrative Television Network, and is a highly sought-after author and platform speaker. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Ultimate Gift, which is now a major motion picture. For his work in making television accessible to our nation's 13 million blind and visually impaired people, the President's Committee on Equal Opportunity selected Jim Stovall as Entrepreneur of the Year. He was also chosen as the International Humanitarian of the Year, joining Jimmy Carter, Nancy Reagan, and Mother Teresa as recipients of this honor. Now, young business leaders, if you weren't at the luncheon today, you guys are in for a real treat because... Jim absolutely motivated, inspired, and uh, just shared his heart, shared his story with our group. So this was definitely a must-attend event, and it was actually our first sold-out Young Businessmen of Tulsa luncheon. So uh, the the fantastic news for you is that uh, we were able to record it and put it on the podcast. So let's tune in and listen to Jim and his message for Young Business Leaders.
1: Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Oh, you got a blind guy up here. If I don't hear you, I go home. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon.
1: afternoon. Thank you. Oh, now we'll go to work. Each and every time I stand up in front of a group of people like this somewhere in the world to share for a few minutes about some things in this life I believe to be important. Every time I do this, I'm always reminded of that time in my life when this was not possible. It was 28 years ago that morning I woke up, I instantly realized I had lost the remainder of my sight, and I knew right then I would live the rest of my life as a blind person. And the thoughts and the doubts and the fears that came over me that morning, those decades ago, would be impossible to describe to you. I was 29 years old, I had never met a blind person, and I didn't have a clue what I was gonna do with the rest of my life. In fact, the only plan I could come up with that morning involved moving into this little nine by 12 foot room in the back of my house. And in my little room there, I gathered my radio and my telephone and my tape recorder. And that was my whole world. I really fully intended to never leave that room again. The thought of traveling several million miles and speaking to millions of people in arena events writing almost 40 books now, writing a weekly syndicated column read by three million people each week on four continents, the thought of running a television network with over a thousand stations and having my seventh and eighth book turns into movies at this point, or the thought of being here a couple miles from my house, visiting with some hometown friends. The thought of doing that would have seemed as foreign to me as going to the moon. So I sat in my little nine by 12 foot self-imposed prison, day after day after day, getting more and more depressed and more and more discouraged. And I'm quite certain I would still be there this afternoon except for one thing. And that is the fact that I literally ached for people like you to come and talk to. So I want you to know what a thrill it is for me to get to be here. I do have to warn you guys We've been doing a lot of these big arena events. You're on an 80-foot-wide stage, 40 feet deep, 12 feet high, and they have you wired down, because even though I travel halfway around the world to get there, most of the people in the arena are watching me on a big screen. I often wonder why I ever leave Tulsa. But they have you wired down so you can't go very far or you get out of range of the camera. Well, today, I'm wireless. I can wander around all I want, and on a bad day, I can wipe out two or three tables here. (laughs) So at least you people down front, you want to pay close attention. In fact, I have it on good authority from a noted theologian that if you die and go to heaven and approach the pearly gate right there with St. Peter and everything, and he said, how did you get here? If you got run over by a blind Olympic weightlifter, I'm not sure you get in. So please be very cautious while we're here today. Uh, Before I go any further, there's some very special people I want to introduce very quickly. Um, A lot of great things have happened to me in my life, but the best one's sitting right here. Uh, We don't get to travel together as often as I would like. She's always going somewhere doing her thing and I'm doing mine. But would you please help welcome the best thing ever happened in my life, my wife, Crystal, right there. I met Crystal when we were attending ORU. I, uh, I was rapidly losing my sight. And they assigned different students to read my textbooks for me. And Crystal was one of those students. And as soon as I met Crystal, I went and told the dean, we won't, we won't need any more, this one will do from here on out. <laughs> and we took all the same classes, and uh, you know, we both knew very quickly that uh, this life was given to us to spend together. And um, she was a great, great reader then. You know, Crystal's smarter than I am. Most guys, uh, you realize you live with someone, you're not the smartest guy in your house. And uh, Crystal graduated first in our class at ORU. And I graduated second. And I'm kind of a competitive guy. That's always bothered me throughout the years, you know? She graduated first, I graduated second. Second's pretty good, unless you sleep with someone that's first, and then it's just not so good. But over the last few years, I've kind of developed a, a theory on that, Uh, I'm not sure she read me the whole textbook. (laughs) I I have no evidence to support that, but it makes me feel better. (laughs) But um, she helped me get through college, and while we were dating, we had no money to go do anything. So we would go to empty classrooms, and I would write my goals and dreams on the board. And she gave me the greatest gift you'll ever give anyone... She believed in me. There was not one logical reason on planet Earth to believe in me. And she believed everything I told her. And when I got out of school, nobody wanted to hire this blind weightlifting guy. So I decided I'm gonna have to go into business for myself and I couldn't hire anybody. So I told her, if you will stay with me until we get going and I can hire somebody else, you can do anything you want for the rest of your life. And she stayed with me for a few years when we started our brokerage business. We remember New York Stock Exchange and we got successful and she wanted to go do her thing. She's written several books. She's a great painter, a great artist. She just got her degree in Italian. She spends uh, several weeks each fall and each spring over in Italy. Um, she just got back from New York. Uh, you know, you may have heard about the president's stimulus package to help the economy. I, I called Donald. I said, "Don't worry about the retail sector. Crystal's stimulating that. She's, she's <laughs> Crystal. She started over there on Fifth Avenue in New York, and she's working it down the down the street there, totally stimulating the retail sector. So I I told Donald to uh, work on manufacturing and transport because she's got the retail sector handled. But um, she's the best friend I ever had. And at my house, I have an office, and one of my staff people gave me this poster. It's three feet long." and it's a foot wide and it's a list of a hundred things it says success is and then it lists one through a hundred things characteristics of success and number one is marry the right person and boy if you don't get one right don't go to two just stay right there and work on one and um, i am like many of you here in the room i'm lucky i got what i got instead of got what i deserve so thank you for joining us and um... Then, of course, I have to thank my friend, uh, Ted Robertson. As you many of you know, Ted's a great tire man, but as I've told some of you, Ted's also a constitutional scholar. Our Supreme Court often calls on Ted for advice on our United States Constitution, because even though the Ted knows I'm one of the highest paid speakers in North America, he never lets that bother him, because Ted believes firmly in free speech. And he will have me out several times a year to make a free speech, <laughs> because Ted believes in free speech. And let me tell you what kind of guy Ted is. This is all you need to know about Ted Robertson right here. Several years ago, <clears throat> my wife was going up to uh, see our knees play a basketball tournament up in Springfield, Missouri. And the schedule was a little tight, and she called me and she said, boy, I, just, I didn't even get out of town. I'm just out here on I-44, getting ready to get on the exit, and uh, I got a nail in my tire, and I don't know what to do. I said, well, there's enough air in it. Drive over to the nearest Robertson tire. And I called Ted, I said, man, I need a favor. I need her back on the road in about 25, 30 minutes. Ted went over there himself, and he, he, man, he had her back on the road. But just before he, he did, he called me and said, now Jim, I'm here on the speakerphone with Crystal, and I just need to check one thing with you. We're gonna get her out of town. She'll make the basketball tournament. Don't worry about that, Jim. But one thing I need to check with you, now these Mercedes, like Crystal drives, there's two kinds of tires you can buy for these. And while you're here on the speakerphone with Crystal, now there's the kind that are pretty good for most people, and then there's the kind you wanna get if it's someone you really care about, Jim. <laughs> And Ted says, "I'll I'll go any way you think we ought to on that. Which way you think we ought to go, Jim?" That's everything you need to know about Ted Robertson right there. I want to thank uh, my friend Donnie Teeman for coming out today. He is running for county commissioner. If you look him up and uh, have him tell you why he wants to be your county commissioner. Also, my great friend Gary Richardson's here. He wants to be your governor. And. Uh, Gary ran for governor several years ago as an independent, and he came to one of my speeches, and he did better than anybody could imagine as an independent, and now he's running as a Republican, and he's come to another one of my speeches, and the way I got this figured, Gary's about three of my talks away from the White House right now. (laughs) But please look up Gary and have him tell you why he wants to be your governor, and we want to thank uh, both of them for being here. I tell you, After all that you see in the media and what you have to go through uh, just to serve, just for the opportunity to serve, um, I think we should all be very grateful that there are people that are willing to sacrifice their time, their effort, and energy to go through that. So uh, thank you all for being here today. Every time I get up to give a speech, I'm always reminded of that first time in my life I gave a speech after losing my sight. It's one of those experiences we all have that kind of keep us humble. And I had just started the Narrative Television Network and it was growing very, very quickly. We were adding stations all the time. And then something happened to me that happens to a lot of us in business. You wake up one morning, no matter how great things are going, and you realize, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. Now, if it hasn't occurred to you yet that you don't have a clue what you're doing, it's probably occurred to the people around you that you don't have a clue (laughs) what you're doing. So one morning I got up and I realized, Man, there's probably no one in North America less qualified to run a television network than me. That really bothered me. So I went out to Los Angeles and I hired a consultant. This should be avoided whenever possible. But I was so paranoid, I didn't hire one. I hired two entertainment industry business consultants. And I paid them an inordinate amount of money to come back to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which you do know is the entertainment capital of the world and I paid them to tell me how to run this television network we were already running quite successfully well they wandered up and down the uh, the, all of our offices and our studios downstairs and everything and pretty much annoyed everybody in the building and then they came to me for the report and they said Jim you're kinda new to the television industry but as the founder and president of this network and as the host of some of our programming on air you gotta get out and meet all of our station managers Jim you got to get out and schmooze these people well, we have over 1,100 stations, and uh, I was just a little ways out of that 9-by-12-foot room I told you about. I could kind of stumble out of my house and fall into the back of the limo and ride over to the office and stumble around there all day and reverse the process in the evening. But when he told me he wanted me to go to a 1,000 different towns and cities and meet all these station managers, I said, guys, that isn't going to happen. You're getting paid way too much money. You're annoying everybody. Come up with something better than that. And they said, well, Jim, you really do have to schmooze these people. I didn't even know what he meant. I said, look, you may schmooze people out in L.A., and that's okay out there, I guess, but you start schmoozing people in Oklahoma, they'll pick you up and arrest you. I'm not kidding you here. (laughs) Just don't haul off and schmooze people here in Oklahoma. Well, a couple days later, they came back, and they said, Jim, based on your success as an Olympic weightlifter and your success in business, we believe, Jim, we could book you into arenas, convention centers all around the country as some kind of motivational success speaker, and then we'll invite our people in on a regional basis to hear you, and that way, Jim, we could kill two birds with one stone. I never was quite sure why these uh, consultants like to kill birds with stones, but the next time you're over on the left coast there in California, please remember, the more birds you can kill with the fewer stones, the better these guys like it. And that's when I got in trouble. I asked the question that gets us all in trouble here in the 21st century. I said, when would I have to start? Because I, my schedule's a lot like I suspect yours is. I don't know what I'm doing today after the lunch. So when they told me, Jim, they booked these big arena events at least, at least six months in advance. So you wouldn't have to do anything for six months. Well, that was great because I'll agree to anything six months from now. In fact, if YBT, if you're getting up a group to swim the English Channel or climb Mount Everest over the Christmas holidays or something, go ahead and sign me up today. Doesn't matter. I'll agree to anything six months from now. In fact, I think that's how I got here, I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, I said, okay, I'll do it. Get out of here, leave me alone. And what seemed like a few days, certainly no more than a few weeks later, they come back down the hall to my office and they said, Jim, it's time to go. And I said, go where? And they said, Jim, it's time to make one of those speeches you promised us you'd make. And I said, you clowns told me I had six months. And they said, Jim, trust us. It's been a full six months. You see, they always lie to the blind guy. And they think they get away with it. And in reality, they do get away with it. i just like to let them know that I know they get away with it. I said, okay, where are we going? They said, Jim, we have booked you into the Anaheim Coliseum where you will be the motivational speaker for 18,000 state government workers. Now, if anybody here works for the state government or knows anybody that works for the state government or or even discovered anyone doing any work for the state government. You'll please excuse my next comment, but I thought being a motivational speaker for the state government workers was something really close to raising the dead, if you know what I mean. Well, our vice president, Kathy Harper, and I, we got on the plane. We flew out there, and I'm standing backstage in this huge arena, scared to death. It's my first speech since I'm totally blind. And I was trying to remember, now was it 12 steps or 13 to the front of that stage? That could be really critical at a certain point in time. And I was trying to remember where were all those potted palm trees they put out there on the stage. You guys travel, you meet a lot of people. If you ever run into the man or woman, whoever it was, who decided they should go into arenas, convention centers, television studios, right where a blind guy might be working, and they decided to put potted palm trees all over the place, If you run into that individual, would you let them know I'd like to speak with them? Because over the last few years, I've had kind of a close personal relationship with some of those potted palm trees. Well, I'm standing back there backstage having a panic attack, trying to figure out how to raise these government workers from the dead. And when you're blind, you become really aware of things around you. You pay really close attention. And standing backstage, I could just tell, I could kind of sense that someone had come up and they were standing right next to me. I could just sense they were there, but they weren't making any noise. Now folks, if we have a chance to meet today after the luncheon or at some point in the future, you have got to make some noise. If you don't make noise, I won't like you. I may not like you anyway, but if you don't make some noise, we don't have a chance. Well, there's this person right there. I could just tell they were there and they weren't making any noise. So I turned to Kathy Harper who was traveling with me. I said, Kathy, I got to, raise these people from the dead, and I forgot where the potted palm trees are, and I think there's somebody standing here. And she said, Jim, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's a guy standing right next to you, and he's holding up a note in front of your face for you to read. (laughs) I said, Kathy, you know I'm really nervous. I really don't need this right now. What's this guy's note say? Kathy leaned over and said, Jim, the note reads, I am deaf, can you please help me find the front desk?" <laughs> so I turned to the deaf man, and I said, no, sir, I'm sorry, I'm blind, I can't help you find nothing. <laughs> Got 18,000 people in the building, you gotta ask me where the front desk is. I mean, a state government worker could probably help you with that. <laughs> you might have to get four or five together and form one of those ad hoc committees they get, you know? But I, I bet you they could figure that out, where's the front desk? So I turned back to Kathy, and I said, <clears throat> What's he he doing now? She said, he's holding the note closer. (laughs) And I explained it to him even louder, and folks, we never did get together on that thing. And somewhere here in America, there is still a poor deaf man wandering around looking for the front desk. And if you run across him, I'd appreciate it if you'd help him out. Well, that kind of ends the deep intellectual part of my remarks today. I like to get the heavy material out of the way right up front. Ladies and gentlemen, there are two, and really only two things I wanna make very sure you know when you leave this room that you may or may not have known when you came in. And if you know these two things as you leave this room, I will have accomplished my mission in being here. The first of these two things is you are sitting here today with one and only one God-given right in this world, and that's the right to choose. Everything you'll ever do and have and create and believe and leave behind as a legacy is based on your right to choose. You are where you are in every area of your life because of the choices you've made in the past. Or if I was to put that another way, all the choices you have made in your entire life have brought you to this place at this time, sitting in that chair right now. Now, as we travel around the world and tell a million people a year you are where you are because that's where you chose to be, a lot of people don't like that. Because we have become a society of people that loves to blame the other guy. So when I show up and say you are where you are because that's where you chose to be, people will say things to me like, Jim, I know I'm not reaching my goals, living up to my potential, I know I'm not walking out my destiny, Jim, but if you'd met my wife, or if you knew my husband, you would understand, or the weather's too hot and the taxes are too high, and my boss is an idiot, and besides that, Jim, I'm a middle child or whatever their lousy excuse is for the way they live their lives. In fact, right now, I'm gonna give you a free gift. You can keep it with you for the rest of your life. Use it any time you want and give it away to anybody you find. It's called the Jim Stovall One-Size-Fits-All 100% Money-Back Guaranteed Excuse for All Situations. So the next time your life isn't turning out the way you want it to, personally or professionally, you're not making a difference in your community, for your family, for your loved ones, the people you care about, don't blame somebody else. Just whip out the Jim Stovall one-size-fits-all 100% money-back guaranteed excuse for all situations. And it works exactly like this. You think of your goal, your dream, your passion, your calling, the reason you were put on this planet Earth. You think about that. Then you walk in and find the nearest mirror you can find. And you look directly at yourself in that mirror and you say the magic words. You say, I guess I really didn't want it that bad. Because unless or until you and I are willing to accept the fact that we are where we are because that's where we chose to be, we can't live this day and every day of the rest of our life in the certainty that tomorrow will be whatever we want it to be when we exercise our right to choose today. And guys, I get it, bad things happen to good people. I get it. But for every person defeated by a disability, a divorce, a debt load, a bankruptcy, unemployment, whatever the case may be. You show me every person that's been defeated by that, I'll show you someone else with the same circumstance that used it as a springboard to everything they ever wanted in this life. You have the right to choose. I was traveling on a plane not long ago. It's the way I generally like to fly. I'm sorry, if you're a blind guy, you gotta slip that in every once in a while. Just to make sure you guys didn't leave, you know? I've given some of my best material to an empty arena, just nine guys out there sweeping up. You know, it doesn't bother me, I'd just like to know. Well, I got on the plane that day, stowed my carry-on luggage, found my seat, sat down, got my seatbelt on, and for a blind guy, you're having a good day. A lot can go wrong in that process, I'll tell you about another time. And there's a guy that got on set next to me, and as Matt mentioned during the introduction, I was an Olympic champion as a weightlifter. Well, if they ever add a new event to the Olympics, a a new kind of competition, uh, every four years to find out who in the world has the worst attitude of any single individual in the world. It would be an Olympic level competition on the worst attitude. This guy who came and sat down next to me that day on the plane, he'd have a gold medal too. He had the worst attitude of any single individual I've ever met. It's quite an accomplishment actually. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and have an attitude as bad as this guy you got to work on it, and I could tell right off, this man has been diligent in his training. <laughs> I, I said, hi, I'm Jim Stovall, I stuck my, head, my hand out, he mumbled something, and then said, I hate this airline, my seat's not comfortable, I don't like the city we're in, I don't like the airport we're connecting through, and I don't like our final destination. This is all without taking a breath. In fact, I don't think he liked me, we didn't get that far into the conversation. <laughs> Those of you who travel a lot, you know, there's really two kinds of flights. There's the conversation flight, and then there's the headset flight, (laughs) kind of determined by your seatmate. Well, I could tell right then this is going to be a headset flight here today. In fact, I I decided this is going to be what I came to know as the high-volume headset flight. (laughs) I didn't even want any leakage from this guy. Well, after a few minutes, we take off, and the nice young lady, the flight attendant, comes down the aisle and said, Gentlemen, we're going to be serving your dinner here. In a few moments, would you like the chicken or the beef? I said, I believe I'd have the chicken today. And she turns to my Olympic seatmate here and said, Sir, would you like the chicken or the beef? He said, it doesn't matter. She said, Sir, we have plenty of the chicken and the beef on board. Which would you prefer? He said, it doesn't matter. She said, "Sir, you are a first-class passenger here on our airline, and it's my job to give you extraordinary service, so could I bring you the chicken or the beef?" He said, "It doesn't matter. Just get out of here and bring me something. A real ray of sunshine, you know? <laughs> One of those guys that can brighten up the whole room just by leaving." Yeah. <laughs> well, a few moments later, she comes back down the hall down the aisle and gives me the chicken and gives him the beef. Now I have a braille watch so I could time this. Because I knew someday I'd be telling you this story. For the next 41 minutes on this flight by the actual count of the official Braille watch, for the next 41 minutes he told me everything you could imagine and some things you could not imagine that were wrong with the beef dinner and why he wished he had the chicken. And then I realized that's the way most people live their lives. There's a few people that make the right decision. They're the healthy, wealthy, happy, successful people that get whatever their idea of success is out of this life. There's a few people that make the wrong decisions. They live in places like Leavenworth and San Quentin and down at McAllister. And then there's the vast majority of people you will ever meet in your life who never make a decision at all. They spend more time planning their three-day weekend than they do what are they gonna do for the rest of their lives. And if you don't get anything else out of our brief time together here today, I want you to realize this life we're living right now, this is not a practice game. This is the World Series, and the Super Bowl, and the Olympics all rolled up into one. And if you don't feel that kind of power and passion about what you do all day every day, you either need to find something new to do or you need to find a new attitude, and this afternoon would be the time to do it. The second thing I want to make sure you know when you leave this room that you may or may not have known when you came in is you're sitting there in that chair right now, simply one quality decision away from anything you want. Because you change your life when you change your mind. That is the most dynamic concept you will ever encounter. You change your life when you change your mind. Your wealth, your success, your happiness, your relationships, your faith, your freedom, everything is based on you changing your mind. And I don't see any better today than I did 29 years ago when I walked out of that little room. It's still dark and scary out there. And the first day I walked out of that room, I didn't write a best-selling book or make millions of dollars or start a television network or make a movie or do a speech. The first day I walked 52 feet to my mailbox. And that was the day that changed my life because I had sat in that little room for months and months and months, and I really fully intended to never leave that room again. I thought I would die in that room. And finally, I asked myself the question, whatever it is out there that I'm afraid of, can it be any worse than living the rest of your life in this? And I walked 52 feet to the mailbox, hardest thing I've ever done, and as I reached out my hand and I touched that mailbox there at the edge of my street, My foot touched the curb there. And I realized something that instant that I had never known before, even though I had lived in that house for over a decade as a fully sighted person. I realized that I lived on a miraculous street because that street that it had taken me months and months to get the courage to even try to walk down the driveway to that street, that street went down to the corner and intersected with another street which led to another street, which connected with another street, which would take me anywhere in the world I ever wanted to go. And it did, and it has, and it still does. But the important thing for us this afternoon is I don't even know your address, and I promise you, you live on a miraculous street. And the calling that Almighty God has on your life starts right here, right now, today. And the only thing, thank you. And the only thing you got to do to activate that, you know, we all had those dreams. You remember a teenager, young adult, man, we had dreams and goals and passions. And I'm going to be this, do this, have this. I'm going to create this. I'm going to change the world. And then somewhere between there and here, we got so busy making a living that we forgot to create a life. Well, I came here today to tell you that the biggest dream you ever had in your world, the, the, the calling on your life is still alive and well. And you may not have thought about it in 15 or 20 years, But it's still there, and the only thing you gotta do to activate it is sit right there in that chair where you are and say, yeah, I'm gonna do that. I don't know how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, who to do it with. I don't know where to get the money. I don't know anything about it, but yeah, I'm gonna do that. And your whole world will change because your mind is the greatest creation of Almighty God. And it will bring you whatever you want. And whether you realize it or not, until you've said yes to your big dream, You have given your mind the instruction, whenever you think of that, come up with a a list of excuses why we're not doing it. It's, It's what makes you keep from feeling so bad about not doing anything with your life. So every time you happen to think about that big dream or those things you wanted to be or do or have or that service or that ministry, whatever it was you were gonna do in your life, your mind will start thinking of excuses why you don't do that. But if you will sit right there in that chair where you are today and say, yes, I'm gonna do that, whether you know it or not, you have changed the instruction to your mind. And you, and you have told it, quit finding me excuses and find me a way to get from here to there. And your mind will do it. A big dream costs no more than a little one. So why would you ever do anything but dream big? Either go first class or stay at home. And people around the world have asked me so many times, Jim, If it's that easy, if all I got to do is exercise my right to choose and make a quality decision and change my life by changing my mind, if it's that easy, why do so many people fail? Well, it's what I call the spider monkey syndrome. Now, this is the deep intellectual part of my comments. So if someone around you looks a little slow, you may have to help them through this. And if everybody's looking at you right now, (laughs) never mind. Spider monkeys are little tiny primates, about six inches tall, and spider monkeys live in the tallest trees in the most dense jungle in the Amazon basin in South America. And for years, they tried to capture the spider monkeys. And they were frustrated in every attempt because the spider monkeys were too fast to get caught up in the nets. They could slip through them or around them. They were too high up in the trees to get shot by the tranquilizer dart guns. And they were frustrated in every attempt to capture the spider monkeys until one of the natives came and showed them how to do that. And I'm gonna share that with you here today. So when you go back home or back to the office and somebody said, what did you learn from that crazy blind guy at that weird lunch? Tell him you learned how to capture a spider monkey. Now, it may not seem like a big deal to you here today, but if there's an outbreak of these little guys in your neighborhood, you'll be the only one on your block knows how to capture a spider monkey. You'll thank me then. The way you capture spider monkeys, you take one peanut Put the peanut inside of a clear glass bottle, set the bottle at the base of a tree, and you leave. And while you're gone, that little spider monkey he'll look way down there, he'll see that peanut in the bottle, eventually he'll climb down there, put his little hand in there, grab the peanut, making his fist too large to get out of the bottle, and you have captured you a spider monkey. You can come back an hour, a day, or a week later, he'll be standing there holding on to that peanut. You can come up and put a whole bag of peanuts right there next to him, and he'll just stand there holding on to that one peanut. You can put bananas all around him there, but he'll just stand there holding on to that one peanut that he didn't want in the first place and he can't eat it anyway. He'll eventually starve to death if you don't help him. You can have other little spider monkeys running around him there, playing little spider monkey games. And he'll stand there all alone holding on to one peanut that he didn't want in the first place and he can't eat it anyway. Because ladies and gentlemen, after conducting exhaustive research myself becoming one of the world's leading authorities on the subject of spider monkeys, I can say to you today without fear of contradiction, ladies and gentlemen, spider monkeys are stupid. That's right, these are not smart animals. But before we laugh too much at the spider monkeys, we've gotta ask ourselves, what is it in our life that we're holding on to that we didn't want in the first place, that is keeping us from everything we ever wanted in this life? If you want success and happiness and joy, you gotta let go of failure and mediocrity and bitterness. And after having 10 million of my books in print read by people in dozens of languages around the world, and uh, my phone numbers in every one of them, including the book that uh, was given to you today, I have talked to countless people. And the most common reason I find that people are living beneath the promise and a long way from their goals is quite simply the fact that they're carrying around a lot of baggage. You know, I know life isn't fair. Somebody did you wrong, somebody cheated, somebody lied, somebody hurt you, and they didn't think about it till the end of that hour and you're carrying it around with you two decades later. It's hard enough to get to the top of the mountain without carrying a whole lot of garbage. Gandhi told us you will not be punished for your unforgiveness, you're punished by it. Let it go. Life isn't fair. But you have been given all the provision you need to get from where you are to where you were called to be. As I was coming in today, a lady asked if I, would, if I was able to sign her book. And she wondered, how does a blind guy sign a book? And I promised I would tell her how that works. So I will close with that today. And um, when I grew up here in Tulsa as a young man, I only had one goal in life. I was gonna be an All-American football player and then go into the NFL and play for the beloved Dallas Cowboys. That was the only plan for my life. And the coaches and scouts that monitor those things assured me I had the size and speed to do that. So it was just a matter of time till I was in the NFL making my living. And then one year during a routine physical to go back and play another season of football, I was diagnosed with this condition that would cause me to lose my sight. And I immediately realized there's no blind guys on the Dallas Cowboys. I checked it out. If you saw that playoff game with the Redskins two years ago, you would have questioned that. (laughs) But I'm assured there are no blind players on the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was devastated. Everything I'd ever wanted in life was gone. I knew it was only a matter of time till I was totally blind. And the one thing I'd ever wanted in this world was gone. And I came back to Tulsa and um, every fall, as you well know, they have the state fair here. And because I'd always been playing ball, I hadn't gone to the state fair for many years since I was a little tiny kid. And I woke up one morning and this meeting here, young businessmen, this is a combination of faith, finance, success, and business, starting with faith. And I woke up one morning in. I had a change in my faith. I had grown up in a religious home, we'd gone to church all the time, and religion's great, until you have a crisis. Religion is like, instead of being married to someone, you go to this place once a week, and a guy talks about being married to somebody. That's what it's like. And religion's great until you come face to face with a crisis, but then you gotta go from religion to relationship right then. I woke up that morning and I said, God, if you are real, you better show up today. I need something today. I will do my part, but I've gotta know what that is and I gotta know today. I went to the Tulsa State Fair. I could still see to get around on my own. I wandered through the old IPE building there, which is now there behind the golden driller. And they had, an exhibition there from the previous Olympic games. And they had the gymnasts and the runners and the sprinters. They had all these people. And then the weightlifters came out. And I watched those guys. And I thought that's something a guy could do even if he was totally blind, right there. Three years later, I was national champion and I finished my athletic career on our Olympic team as a weightlifting champion. I left the IP building thinking, God, you better show up today. And I wandered down the midway, and there's the pavilion, the arena there. And it had a big banner said, Free Concert. I had no, no idea who was playing, but free totally fit my budget. And I went in. There was nobody there yet, and I had no idea what time the show started. So I wandered all the way down to the front row, sat there right on the front row. And I sat there, and I thought about going blind, and I'm never going to play ball again, and my dreams are gone, and God better be real. And I prayed a lot, and I cried a lot, and I sat there. And I was unaware that the arena filled up around me. I was that intense on my thoughts and prayers. And then as I was telling God, I just wanna know that you're real and that there's a place in this world for a blind man. A voice I will never forget entered my consciousness. And it said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Tulsa State Fair, the one, the only, the legend, Ray Charles. And they brought Ray out He was about 10 feet away from me. And Ray was magic. And I said, okay, maybe a blind guy can do something. I figured Ray's kind of got this music thing covered, so I better go do something else. (laughs) But that was the beginning. 10 years later, my business is launched, I'm a success. I'm speaking at a convention, international business people, 15,000 business leaders in Madison Square Garden in New York City, 10 years later. And I walked off stage, the promoter hugged me and he said, Jim, that's what we needed. And I've got another event coming in. Uh, can I hold you over? I said, as long as you pay, we play. That's how that works, except for Ted. And, um, <laughs> and he said, we want to hold you over. He said, uh, I, I have another event uh, at the end of the week. He said, do you want to go back to Oklahoma and come back again or you want to stay in New York? I said, I got some TV business to do, so I'll stay here in New York. He said, well, since you're going to be here, I have another act in town. And I was trying to think of a polite way to tell this guy I'm blind, I'm not comfortable in crowds or public or out on the street by myself or with my people. I'm just not, I can't do that. But I couldn't come up with a way to tell this guy that's honored me and is paying me that much money. So just out of politeness, I said, who do you got? He said, tomorrow night, opening night, Carnegie Hall, Ray Charles. I said, oh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, yeah. They sat me on the front row and there I was again, 10 years later. Ray was still magic. And after the concert, they took me backstage. They said, just a minute. Ray's got to sign a couple more autographs. Then you can talk the rest of the evening. And I had been blind almost 10 years by then. I didn't know blind people could write. So I said, how does he write? And Ray heard that he said, who said that? I said, well, sir, my name's Jim Stovall. I'm blind too. I didn't know blind people could write. He said, son, anybody ever in your whole life thinks enough of you to want your autograph, least you can do is learn how to write your name. Kind of ticked me off, actually. And I said, well, old man, you're gonna have to show me. He said, sit yourself down here. And he showed, traced it out and showed me how he wrote Ray Charles and we figured out how to write Jim Stovall. And I wrote Ray Charles and Jim Stovall. It was years before I could write anything other than Ray Charles and Jim Stovall. That's all I knew how to write, Ray Charles and Jim Stovall. And my people in my office now that figure those kind of things, they figure I've probably signed half a million autographs since then and people all around the world. And uh, Ray and I became friends and stayed in touch. And one of his last three shows was here in Tulsa at the Performing Arts Center. And I went over there and sat with Ray. And we both knew he didn't have much time left. And he said, he said you think when we go to heaven, we'll be able to see? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, what do you figure an angel looks like? I said, I don't know what the ones in heaven look like, but the ones here on earth look just like Ray Charles. Because when I needed you, buddy, you were there. And um, so, ma'am, that's how I learned how to write my name. And uh, if you want to, I'd be pleased to sign your book. Uh, The great thing about my signature, since you won't be able to read it anyway, you can say, look right there. Donald Trump or Ted Robertson or anybody, sign that book right there. But I do always like to warn you, when you got a blind man with an ink pen, you do want to stand back. (laughs) I want to thank Matt and everyone involved with this group for inviting me to be here. I've been privileged to be a part of this group on a number of occasions and uh, welcome at any time. And I too, Ted, believe in free speech for you guys. And it is an honor to be here. And I remember sitting in that nine by 12 foot room just a few miles from where we are here today, sitting there on a day much like today, broke and scared and discouraged and depressed, and you've never met anybody as pitiful as I was. And sitting all of there, sitting alone there in the dark, had I only known that there were groups of people like you that got together to help guys like me and to help young people who wanted to make, if I would known that, it would have made a huge difference. So I'm proud of you, I'm proud of what you do. As always, I'll leave you with this. Hold on to your dreams and stand tall even when those around you would force you to crawl. Hold on to your dreams as a race you must run even when reality whispers you'll never be done. And finally, my friends, hold on to your dreams and wait for the miracle to come because on that miraculous day, your dream and your reality will merge into one. I love you more than I can say, see you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this month's message.
0: If you live in the Tulsa area, be sure to join us next month for a free lunch and another great speaker. We meet on the second Monday of every month at Tiamo's at 61st and Sheridan at 1140 a.m. For more information about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, visit www.ybtok.com. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, we are building leaders for a lifetime.